Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. We are officially on chapter seven of season three of Stranger Things, The Bite. Is this the chapter name with the fewest syllables? Oh, maybe it is. I didn't do the research, but perhaps somebody could get back to us on if this is the name of the chapter with the fewest syllables. It seems like it should be. The gate. Oh, true. All right. Never mind. (laughs) Well, let's say that two syllables is our current lowest. Okay, I don't think there's any... Is there anything with one syllable? No. I don't think so. Okay. We wanted to, before we get into it, because this is a chapter episode, so you all know how those go, we wanted to remind you all about our Battle of Starcourt Watch Party, which is going to be happening on Friday, September 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in our Discord. We are, like I said two episodes ago, we're kind of teasing out the details still, but we are going to give you all of that information in probably the next two episodes, and we'll obviously post on Instagram, and we'll obviously post on Discord, too. If you've joined, you'll see it there. If you haven't joined, you should. The end. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, so that leads us to our summary of this episode. Chapter 7, The Bite, was written by the Duffer Brothers. Thank God. And another thank God for directed by the Duffer Brothers as well. Thank God again. Yeah, I really do. In doing this watch through, I've realized it does kind of show. It does. Yeah. Who are these people? I know. Yeah. They're not the Duffer Brothers. Yeah. When it's the DBs, I feel like it's it's just on. It's just Stranger Things. Yep. This chapter, much like all the rest of them, aired July 4th, 2019. And here is our summary straight from Netflix. With time running out and an assassin close behind, Hopper's crew races back to Hawkins where Elle and the kids are preparing for war. Wow. Mm. Nothing about Robin and Steve or Dustin and Eric. Nothing about them. No, those guys are... We don't need to know anything about them. No, and I also love how Jonathan and Nancy are lumped in with the kids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True. All right, let's let's do some fast facts for the bite. Now, I didn't know this. You might have known this. You all might know this. But apparently, Millie split her kneecap. Yikes. And they wrote her leg injury into this chapter because she was already injured. And, yep. Mm-hmm. And this injury was in June of 2018. So it would make sense with the timeline of filming for season three. I have two questions. I have no answers. (laughs) One, what does splitting one's kneecap mean? In half. Yikes. Ow. How does one even do that? Owie, indeed. And then my other question is, they wrote in the leg injury after her real life leg injury, even though 
we find out in season four that the the bite was like really pivotal to Henry's plot, you know, stealing her powers. (laughs) (laughs) That old thing. (laughs) I totally just blanked. (laughs) I wonder if it was less that. Okay, so maybe maybe what I found online was phrased odd. Hmm. Maybe it was less that they wrote in the leg injury. In other words, it made sense for her to be limping right, in right. the chapter because she was already injured. So maybe the injury was there, but maybe the extent of it wasn't. Like maybe she wouldn't have had a limp. Maybe they wouldn't have like taken advantage of the fact that she was injured. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But no, that's a really good point. I I mean, make it work. Sure. When, you're, when your star goes down, you got to re- rewrite the plot around her. <laughs> <laughs> to the rules yes the next one i thought was great it wasn't legal to sell fireworks in indiana until 2006 <laughs> excuse me it's quite a discrepancy close- <laughs> just a couple years yeah the closest state that would have been able to legally sell fireworks at the time of this chapter was tennessee i don't think they were in tennessee that's not what we've been told no and just last but not least, we got to bring it back to New Coke. We've mentioned it several times already, but we finally come to the relevant episode. Coca-Cola actually manufactured fresh cans of New Coke to promote this season, but they didn't sell any in stores. They were used at promotional events and given away in an exclusive Stranger Things gift box that they sold online. That's so fun. Yeah, so New Coke was rejuvenated in 2019 as we all knew in honor of this season i bet that the people who were able to get their hands on a can of it nobody even drank it oh no it's just sitting somewhere in their bedroom unopened on a shelf yeah waiting for it to stranger things shrine yes or waiting for it to like develop more value Mm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've been watching a lot of antiques Roadshow. just saying i don't know i just it's really interesting I support Amanda in all things <laughs> except this. I don't know. It's really, it's fat. Me and Eli watched it for like six hours on Saturday. Like so long. She sent me, Amanda sent me a picture of this very unsettling doll that someone had brought. If you all haven't watched the Antique Roadshow, just YouTube it and just see what, what we're talking about. It's just it like, is a time. It is the oldest person content I can possibly think wow, of. Wow, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and I love it. So I don't know. If you're interested in weird things for sale, check it out. Anyway. Yeah. We are sponsored by Antique Roadshow. <laughs> and and viewers like you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get down to it. Let's do it. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Woo! It is time for fireworks and hot dogs and patriotism and tilt-a-whirls. Our resident swine, Klein, gives an excited speech at the Roan County Fair, while Ted, Karen, and Holly go up on the Ferris wheel to watch the fireworks. As the wheelers approach the top of the Ferris wheel, the ride abruptly stops to Ted's dismay. Guess what? Karen slipped the ride operator some cash for the best seats in the house. As the fireworks begin, Holly notices something moving in the trees in the woods. The trees are moving! Don't worry about that, silly little child. Just look at the fireworks. I'm sure you caught this as well, but the first thing that I noticed about this is someone bringing a dog to this fun fair where there are going to be fireworks. I didn't write that, but that was also my first thought. I was like, who brings Somebody a dog? Somebody put that dog back. Yes, it, or, or give it some ear protection at least. 
true i mean they even say you're not supposed to just they'll run they get scared they flee just leave it home it doesn't need to be at the fair i know i'm like so paranoid about that stuff like i have my patio screened in and bernie sits out there sometimes but if i know like thunder's coming in Mm. or like there's gonna be noise i bring him in even though he's not afraid usually you never know you just don't know yeah i like to think that robin was supposed to be performing at this event Yes, and I also would like to know where Vicky is. I asked this as well. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. The Hawkins High Marching Band is here. It's incomplete. I also want to know how they got a hold of the whole marching band in July. That's a good question. They, like, put out a be present on July 4th. It's a small town. Yeah, that's true. They were probably like, what else am I doing? Yeah. It would have been great, though, if Robin had made some allusion to, like, I'm supposed to be somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, playing in a marching band. <laughs> I have a solo. I feel like this whole chapter is meant to represent the general public being distracted from reality by a spectacle. Oh, yes. Right? Which, like, in and of itself is very American. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you looking at the trees, baby? The fireworks. Look at the fireworks. Meanwhile, the town is being infiltrated by Russians, and there is a giant fleshy skin monster on the loose. I'm just laughing because that thing, like, we didn't get to it yet, but that thing running through the woods is, like, so funny to me. It's funny that it's funny to you because it's terrifying to me. Well, it's terrifying, but it's, like, funny because... It seems really conspicuous and nobody notices. It does. And I feel like this chap, like this, first of all, this quote from Karen is a great way to start the chapter. It is. And I feel like throughout the chapter, Karen sort of symbolizes like this blissful ignorance. Mm. Yeah. So I just think this is like started off on this, this very specific note for everyone. I like that. And even thinking back in previous seasons, Karen does kind of represent this in many ways. And mm. even with the Billy thing, like she's mm. sort of represents this like distraction and yeah. he represents that for her as well. Yeah. I think there's something going on. Mm-hmm. I need to know who Klein paid to do his makeup and what concealer he's wearing. It's subtle, but it depends on the light because, yes. like, you can catch it in some scenes, and then, in, like, in this opening scene, it's like really not noticeable. Yeah, I know it's it's wild. I don't know what he's using, but I would love to know. It's just slightly yellower than his skin tone. Yeah, that's why it, you can notice it. Mm-hmm. Is Ted cute here? Is it just me? I just feel like Holly is his weakness. Yeah, and I think Ted is kind of not cute. Like, I like Ted, but yeah. Like, it's like a cute dad moment for Ted. Yes. I, I think the child we see him display the most paternal instincts with is definitely oh. Holly. Yeah. Like when she's asleep on his lap. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It makes me think about like what, what he was like when Nancy was a baby. And that's their first mm-hmm. kid. So I wonder if he was, you know, softer. I feel like he probably was. Yeah. Speaking of Holly, I have to wonder if... We're going to get something going on with Holly in season five. I feel Hmm. like they use her a lot as like a vessel to point out upside downy things. Yeah. And like, I wonder if she's like particularly like attuned to these types of things or she's just a child and children do kind of have this trope in a lot of media of like Mm -hmm. seeing beyond the physical realm or something. So I don't know, but I just kind of thought about that. Like 
we get a lot of this same type of thing with Holly throughout the seasons. Yeah, like in season one with the Demogorgon and the wall. Mm-hmm. And he, like, stretches the... That's that scene, right? Yeah, yeah, he no. stretches through the wall. Yeah, he does that a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> and Holly's, like, following the lights, and then Karen comes and picks her up. Yeah. And Joyce is like, Karen, I need you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so concerned if I was Karen. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, really weird. The trees are moving is the song playing. Oh, nice. Very, yeah. very spot on. Very appropriate. At Hopper's cabin, Eleven explains to the group what Billy told her. He's building something, and it's all for her. They deduce that Billy is referring to the army of Flayed, and that Elle closing the gate last year really pissed the Mind Flayer off. You shouldn't have done that. It upset him. <laughs> As Elle reveals the Mind Flayer's plans to murder everyone, a distant roar is heard. Nancy and Will realize that the Mind Flayer knows where they are because of Billy. In true white people in horror movie fashion, the gang goes outside to investigate the rumbling, only to see the giant... <laughs> it's so funny, I don't know why. The giant fleshy spider thundering his way towards them in the distance. I think it's so funny because it takes so long for him to get there. <laughs> and we know why that is, right? We yeah. know that we need to do the thing yeah. that we're going to talk about in the next scene. But like, yes, it's like he has... I think eight legs or maybe six. He might not be an, a true arachnid. He yes. might have six legs. You have so many legs, my guy. Why is it taking you so long to make your way downtown? I, like, right. It's a short little path. They see him clearly. Like, he is, oh, Lord, he coming. Like, <laughs> stalling. Like, that's why it makes me laugh. Because it's, like, so clear, like, the movie magic that happened here. For sure, yes. Yeah, that's a good point. He does take a long-ass time. Yeah. But imagine an interdimensional eldritch horror building an entire army just to stop you. It's like, gotta be flattering. It must be. But also, <laughs> like, hear me out. So the Mind Flayer building an army to stop L feels Mind Flayery, right? Doesn't that feel Mind Flayery? Yeah. Because it's like, I'm trying to dominate and you're in my way, so I'm going to eradicate you. But then he also says that he's going to kill all of her friends and that feels Vecna-y. Yeah, it does. Very, very chaotic evil. Yeah, and like there's like a like a greed or like a malice. Like you don't need to kill those people. L is the true threat, but you're just gonna tack that extra stuff on because you're an asshole. Yeah, just just to be a terrible being. Also, I always had an issue with this scene. It takes them so long to come to the conclusion that Billy knows where they are. And that feels like a, a possibility that they discussed. Like, why does it take them so long to come to this conclusion? I do agree. I feel like the there's something odd about the whole timing of this scene. And I think it's probably because what they're referencing happened at the end of the previous chapter. So mm -hmm. that it feels like this weird disconnect. But you're right. I do think they should have arrived at this conclusion a little bit quicker. Yeah, I know. Like... Mike even says in the last chapter, like, you, you have to be careful, basically, because he might be able to spy back. Mm-hmm. And then it takes them a whole ass conversation to be like, oh, wait, he spied back. Yeah. I also feel like Max and Jonathan are similar in the fact that they always opt for, like, the simpler, less traumatizing explanation for things. Sure. Which, like, 
when you kind of think about what you just said about why did it take them so long to arrive at this conclusion i mean nancy is like do you hear that and jonathan is like it's just the fireworks (laughs) right and i i feel like remember when max was trying to explain billy's weird behavior and she was like oh he just he just had a fever he was just Mm -hmm. sick like just trying to find the most logical response yeah but i i think when jonathan does it it comes off as dismissive of nancy's what's the word intuition into it it was like um not intuition i can't think of the word but yeah let's go with intuition and 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 i know that it's not that way because i feel like it's rooted in like trauma Mm -hmm. he's like just wants the the answer to be as simple as possible but like i would imagine it would take me a fairly long time to arrive at a conclusion if like there was a dude there always dismissing my posits sure that yeah it irritates me like nancy is like that's noise and jonathan's like it's just fireworks it's not fucking fireworks jonathan yeah it's not it's clear has it ever just been fireworks has it ever just been anything in the last three years i think that's like the most frustrating thing about when he does that kind of thing like okay we're we're three seasons in now like come on now it's always the non-logical explanation what are you doing right yeah hopper is very similar later on in this chapter when he's like why are we so worried about the kids what 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 do you mean what do you mean why are we worried about the kids we've been worried about the kids since november 6th 1983 hopper i know like catch up man what are you talking about up yes yeah i don't know very bizarre just a psa amanda's cat snoring might be in the background of this episode and we are so sorry he doesn't give me any peace i'm glad he's (laughs) sleeping peacefully i just had a question um well first of all this is creepy shit I will say, I know we said it's funny because it's taking him so long, but it is creepy. I don't like it. It's like not knowing when it's going to arrive or how close it is. It's like this anticipation. But also, can everyone please get back inside the cabin? (laughs) I know. Like, everyone didn't need to go outside at once. No, one person could have probably stuck their head out and been like, oh, he's a coming. Yeah. And that could have been that but instead they all had to be very violently white people and go all outside and view the threat and yeah yeah pretty pretty everyone bad back inside very everyone, bad everyone is although i mean to be fair getting inside i'm not really sure what that does for us but whatever fair enough <laughs> back underground dustin and erica drive a drugged steve and robin through the russian base as the latter two dinguses ra- ramble on about the indy 500 or is it 300 or is, it, <laughs> is it is it i think it's five <laughs> <laughs> they board the elevator and ride it up to the surface steve and robin pretending to surf the entire time erica and dustin deduce that the two teens are drugged af steve boops dustin's nose as robin carries on about death steve realizes the russians took his car keys leaving them with no escape plan as they exit the elevator into the cool night air which tastes delicious by the way armed guards spot and chase them causing them to flee back into the mall i love robin screaming "Wipeout," <laughs> and then in season four that song plays at ringo mania pre-milkshake fiasco <laughs> so true yeah it's only marijuana dad boop <laughs> <laughs> i like when steve asks why they're running <laughs> <laughs> they are they're ridiculous they really are it's very funny very silly i had to look up a little bit about truth serum because i was curious to know like what the deal with that is 
Um, Side effects. Yeah. So the most popular quote-unquote truth serum that's been used, and by the way, I would just like to say that I found out truth serum isn't really what it is. It slows the speed at which your body sends messages from your spinal cord to your... Spinal cord. (laughs) Spinal cord. What is a spinal corn? It's actually just a big corn cob back there. Oh, right. I forgot my spine was corn. Corn on the cob, except the corn bone is spine. (laughs) Anyway, so one of the most popular truth serums that's used in interrogations and things like that is sodium thiopental. And a truth serum like that only slows the speed at which your body sends messages from your spinal cord to your brain. So it literally puts you on like a 10 second delay. Yeah, essentially. So this article that I got from businessinsider.com, by the way, it says, as a result, it's more difficult to perform high functioning tasks, such as concentrating on a single activity, like walking in a straight line or even lying. It's this. Yeah. It's this concentration you need to think up a lie that truth serum removes. So in that. Yeah. In that way, lying can be more difficult, but not impossible. Okay. So it's not like 100 percent. Yeah. Basically. And some interesting stuff about it. It says that there are still accounts of this drug's use as a truth serum. In 2007, police in New Delhi, India, administered the drug to a wealthy businessman and his servant, who were suspects in the infamous Noida serial murders. While under the influence, they confessed to luring children to their home and doing all sorts of terrible things. Wow. Yeah. The servant was given the death sentence and is still in jail, and the wealthy businessman received a a seven-year sentence. But it's a little scary that we're using confessions made under the influence of this drug to Hmm. to put people to death. That's also true because you, I mean, I don't know. We don't, we don't know, but does it impede anything else that would make them more inclined to confess? Mm-hmm. And especially like if you use it with other methods, like other interrogation methods. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, pretty wild. So it, it's still out there. It is definitely not <clears throat> cool to use in interrogations as far as the Geneva Convention is concerned, but mm-hmm. uh, not everybody abides by that. So yeah it's out there i'm surprised there's no like lowering of an in- of your inhibition component right that's what like i was alcohol kind of, that's what i was kind of looking for like where is that component but i'm guessing the whole like delayed brain messages is sort of equivalent to that okay yeah in our prepare for danger montage of the season nancy arms herself with a shotgun jonathan finds an axe and the kids barricade the doors and windows of the cabin the group assembles into the mandatory Stranger Things 360 formation as they await the Mind Flayer. The cabin begins to shake, plates rattle, lights flicker, and the trees outside start to rustle. For a moment, things get eerily quiet. All of a sudden, a long, slimy tentacle bursts through one of the windows, shattering the glass. Jonathan tries to take it out with his axe, but fails. Instead, Nancy unloads on it with the shotgun, giving it enough pause for Eleven to intervene. The tentacle shudders under the weight of Elle's power. She beheads it and quickly retreats. I just want to give a quick 
congratulations to the buyer's home for making it through an entire <laughs> season without being reduced to pure chaos. Wow. It was Hop's cabin's turn to be destroyed. Yes. Don't worry. We'll be back to the buyer's house in season four to, to mess it all up. But yep, they do get a break. <laughs> they got a reprieve just for one season. Yes. And I would also like to give a shout out to the trap door in Hopper's cabin in the floor that leads to a bunker in which they all could have climbed <laughs> that l knew about that l knew about so shout out wow. to that shout out to that space <laughs> yeah i don't know if like maybe it would have trapped them and they were like l thought that was not a good idea for that reason but i don't know just a thought you mean like trap them under all of the rubble that could have been there if the mind flayer actually destroyed the house like it was capable of yeah. rather than using this very gentle onslaught of tentacles from various <laughs> angles yeah okay yeah just clarifying well that and like cornering them basically you know like yeah at, at least they can get there's more than one exit out of the cabin sure yeah. that's sound but like what do you think the mind flayer would have done or the skin spider whatever this is if like he arrived and they were gone like aka in the floor and he would have been like uh house is empty uh, boss they're they're actually not here um <laughs> do you know where they might be or <laughs> they only showed us the house they only showed us the house he would have been confused and then he would have gone back to where he came from yeah the source the source i'm a little bit surprised oh god this is gonna sound so sad jonathan is surprisingly good with an axe he is he has good aim it's not easy like you see people like trying to hit logs Mm -hmm. with axes and they always get a little bit to the right or a little bit jonathan just slams this thing's tentacle yeah with his axe i thought that too i think it is kind of surprising because uh no yeah it's not easy and it's not something he's like at least that we've seen experienced in so no and we see his aim in season one yeah not great it's not there i like when will says it's close it reminds me of there's a 30 percent chance it's already raining (laughs) (laughs) thanks will so much thank you for your input yes my child thank goodness you're here (laughs) what would we have done without that input it's close no way (laughs) no shit i just wanted to point out also that this is the second time in this season in within two episodes that l stops this mf right before it gets nancy yeah she saves nancy twice in a row yep she does i kind of love that i think i kind of love like the idea of that's my boyfriend's sister i don't know like it's cute it is cute leave her alone yeah. even though that's totally not what's going through Elle's mind it's just that's the relationship yeah so. right i was gonna say like yeah de- Elle definitely would just save you know anybody but anybody yeah yeah a moment later two more tendrils burst into the cabin using her powers Elle paralyzes them and tears them apart just as the mind flayer himself kool-aid mans through the roof another tentacle uses its mouth what to grab l by the ankle almost pulling her up and out of the cabin but mike and the rest of the gang grab onto her hands in a fun little game of l tug of war nancy shoots it while lucas severs its tendril with the axe releasing l mike rips the remaining piece of tendril off of l's leg she screams in pain as it slithers away 
Oh, so gross. As the Mind Flayer shows off his new veneers, Elle, now limping, uses her powers again to rip its head in half. The group- like her kneecap. Yes. <laughs> the group quickly flees the cabin in Nancy's car. Just in case we were unclear, this thing has tentacles coming out of its mouth. <laughs> it's like layers upon layers. Like, does each tentacle have a mouth which has more tentacles coming out of those mouths? It's like the never-ending chain of mailmen delivering mail to other mailmen. Or a pyramid. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> so that, it's this MF. Yeah, it's this MF, MLM. <laughs> oh, my God. So many letters. Yeah. The blood pouring down her leg is so horrifying. The, the blood throughout this whole chapter yeah. is just yucky, yucky. So bad. And I just, again, they are just so good at these, like, high action, mm. like, scenes where, like, the camera person is also running. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very good. It's really satisfying to watch. It is. And also horrifying. So I don't know why this came up in my brain during this scene in particular, probably because what is happening is so absolutely um, absurd. But this is all Brenner's fault. Wow. Yeah. This this is this is all Brenner's fault. This entire thing is Brenner's fault. Yeah. This has snowballed quite a bit. And he is nowhere to be. He is not even facing the consequences of his actions. No, he just pieced it. He just pieced it, and he's, like, somewhere underground in Nevada. <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> Presumably. Like, I don't know. But this is all his fault. It really is. Yeah. Back at the mall, Dustin and Erica escort the still-high Steve and Robin to the movie theater where Back to the Future is playing. The four decide to cool off and hide amongst the other moviegoers. Dustin and Erica briefly discuss JFK conspiracy theories, and Dustin leaves Erica in charge of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. He's going to find them a ride out of here. My only note for this scene is that I want all of these scenes of them running away to have Speed Drive by Charlie XCX from the Barbie movie playing over them. <laughs> yes. I need someone to make an edit. I'm sure somebody out there is going to be on it. Yeah, because I think that it would be perfect. It would. And I just have to say, I feel like... It's odd that Dustin is the conspiracy theorist here and not Erica. Hmm. She feels yeah. she feels more likely to be that person to me, but Yeah. I respect it. I like this like thinking of Dustin as someone who could potentially get along with Murray. Right? <laughs> That's true. We don't really see <laughs> what them a interact. Pair. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, no. I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Same. Our adults are en route to Indiana. In the backseat of Todd's stolen vehicle, Alexi explains to Murray that the key can only be turned off using two other keys. Yeah, okay, two other keys. Hop briefly notes the two-man rule as Alexi explains that the keys are in a vault. The vault requires a code. Plank's constant. Joyce summarizes, because we're all confused, so we can get the keys and then turn the machine off. Thank you, Joyce. Hop <laughs> insists that their military can get them into the Russian fortress, but Joyce insists that they can just do it themselves. The two continue their lover's quarrel, and Murray tells Hop and Joyce to just cut the shit and bang already. Alexi and Murray proceed to have a laugh about the unbelievable fact that these two haven't had sex yet. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> this just is a question that I have. 
is sex just sex in russian it does sound like that right i don't know it does eli is not present but i would ask him but um it does sound like that Mm -hmm. it totally does yeah i like hopper's reaction whoa (laughs) you are way out of line (laughs) or what did she say off base she said you are way off base. she says something (laughs) and again i would just like to to give us a reminder of murray's beautiful line it is truly a curse to see this clearly it is hi daddy i'm not that mad about it (laughs) (laughs) right so good i think that we alluded to this at the beginning but i just want to mention again why is hopper so against rescuing the children i have no idea it is so strange it really is like why are you acting like this is such a far-fetched concept that these children might be in danger right right and joyce even says in the last episode they're like 10 minutes from the gate the big bad fourth of july carnival yeah like hopper seriously get it together man he's definitely just sexually frustrated i was gonna say that like and i I hate to say that about him but it feels a little like he's thinking with the wrong head Mm. wow (laughs) yep which is like yeah that's why i hate to say that about him because we're talking about his child's safety here like yeah i don't want to think that he would pick you know sex over that but i'm getting that vibe i also think like he might be a little bit more disconnected from child rearing so maybe joyce's urgency is like yeah more immediately relevant to her versus hop who has been without a child for like i don't know how many years like 10 years almost yeah so that could be it too that's very true i know that you had said this Mm -hmm. but i don't know if you said it here but you said it to me and i want to say it amanda said that will is the only buyers who has not been murrayed yes he hasn't he has not been i would love to see it same (laughs) although i don't know if will needs that i don't know he feels like what do you think I don't think he needs a murraying in the traditional sense, but I mm. like like and when I say traditional sense, I mean like pairing him with someone he's obviously romantically interested in. That's right. Not so much what I mean, but I more mean Murray needs to tell him something that he's not ready to hear. Okay. Yeah. I and and I think Murray could be a good catalyst for Will to be more comfortable with himself. Yeah. That's, I like it. That's more what I'm thinking about when i think of murray and will interacting i hope we get it in season five me too nancy who is now a professional f1 racer pulls up outside of bradley's big buy and and pull up is an understatement she (laughs) does a full like donut in the park she does (laughs) as usual the group breaks and enters in search of medical supplies for Elle's leg Nancy starts to clean the wound, but Max takes over, explaining that first they need to stop the bleeding, then clean, then disinfect, then bandage. She skateboards, okay? Mike applies pressure to Elle's leg as Max sends the rest of the group in search of more supplies. Is there no alarm system? I was wondering that too. In this store. They're so casual about it. Like, Nancy throws a whole-ass rock and shatters all of the glass and not a single alarm goes off. I know. You're telling me they didn't have Sloman Shield back then? honestly what about simply safe yeah adt anybody hello (laughs) hawkins national lab (laughs) 
<laughs> Department of Energy? Somebody. <laughs> the only thing I wrote for this scene was Max and Nancy interacting again. I know. It's so weird. It is. I just wanted to ask if Lucas has free floating gummy bears in his backpack. Ew. <laughs> Did he? Like, he empties his backpack onto the floor, and I swear I saw just gummy bears. I would believe naked. it raw yeah i'd believe that same it's also cute that i and i know it's subtle but i think this is just like a a a cute attempt on lucas's part to like help max he's like can i help and he just empties his backpack (laughs) out onto the floor as if that's helpful at all and she's like go find me some like useful items i know it's pretty cute he's thinking of her he's like how can i help you know he's trying his best lucas is the best he is he is. If I want any of these children to be my boyfriend, it's Lucas. I I agree. I think I'd pick mm-hmm. him. Same. Yeah. Uh, granted, as a 30-year-old woman, you know, I, I would, if I could go back and know what I know now, that mm-hmm. is who I'd pick. But in real life, I'd definitely pick Mike as a teenager, for sure. We're going back. We're teenagers, We're talking right? about if we were teenagers. Right. If we were teenagers, I think I would pick Dustin. I could see it. Yep. Okay. Anyway. As Nancy and Jonathan wander the aisles, Nancy deduces that the Mind Flayer is made up of the dissolved bodies of the Flayed. If they kill the Mind Flayer, they kill all of the Flayed and end this. Maybe. Elsewhere in the store, Lucas and Will search the cereal aisle for a bowl, because what else are bowls for, if not cereal? (laughs) I love this boy logic. I know. The two spot a fireworks display just as Max appears. Lucas explains that five Satan's babies strapped together is equivalent to a stick of dynamite, a.k.a. the perfect weapon against this MF. Max isn't convinced, though, and she insists that they just should use Eleven. Lucas explains that Elle will need backup, and he begins to stockpile more fireworks. I just like this very serious conversation that Nancy and Jonathan are having in front of this very large butternut squash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's just a massive squash i did not see that (laughs) go back and look for the squash that's funny i you know i said i like seeing nancy and jonathan like work through what's going on here but after like rereading that summary i realized that they're just like yep all the flayed are gonna die they don't really give that a second thought at all which no which is fine because if they're melted i'm guessing they're not coming back anyway but they don't really like make that clear that they're aware of that if that makes sense yeah it's just like well oh well everybody's dead now (laughs) yeah i don't know i I mean i guess right they're thinking that if they're melted then they're already dead but they don't say that still i still need to know though like do these people's families know that their families are melted does anybody know that their grandma is melted into a monster like does anybody have this information did anybody wonder what happened to all of the people in the hospital all of the people in town adam that little boy calls for his friend adam at the end of the e pluribus unum adam you're gonna miss it does anybody wonder what happened to adam where are adam's parents where are adam's parents what about david the other guy who burns the burger yeah does anybody know what happened to david like, David, where are you going? Like, is anyone looking for these people? Is anyone then, looking for these people? And then when they inevitably turn up dead as a result of the mall fire, <laughs> were all these people who their loved ones just like walked away wordlessly? Were they all like, what? Why? What? <laughs> How did they get to the mall? And why did they just up and leave to go to the mall? <laughs> 
on the evening of Fourth of July in the middle of the night. Like what? In the middle. Who goes to Fourth of July? The mall is closed. I know. I don't understand. I never. Again, what did we talk about? People being distracted by spectacle. Yeah, you're gonna miss it. I just said that Max volunteering L as the weapon to kill the skin monster doesn't sit right with me. It sort of reinforces Mike's point. Mm. And I'm kind of glad that Lucas was like, she's going to need help. Yeah. She is one person about the age of 12. (laughs) She can't do this by herself. The tender age of child. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Now that's the real Operation Child Endangerment. That is what that is, for sure. Yeah. Back in the aisle, Mike nurses Elle's wound. He tells her that she's going to have a bitchin' scar, and he begins to apologize for his possessive behavior. Mike explains that that he's happy that she and Max are friends, and he tells her that he was jealous and angry and wanted her all to himself. But that's unfair and selfish, and he's sorry. He tries to explain the term, love makes you crazy, to Elle, but leaves the love out. You know, blank makes you crazy. But Elle is confused. Girlfriends? No, not girlfriends. Boyfriends? No, not those either. Just as he's (laughs) about to say it, he is interrupted by Dustin on the supercom. Code Red! Elle has a terrible wound. She sure does. Sure does. And it's alive. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I hate when my wounds are alive. Yeah, that's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. Oh, man. I love Finn's delivery of this monologue. He says... It's really good. He says like so many times, and it's just like he makes it so clear that Mike is nervous. Mm-hmm. And I I think he just delivered it so well, like trying so hard to say something without saying it. This is one of my favorite Malevin moments. Me too. I just love it. It is so true that he does deliver it really well. He's very convincing. This feels like this feels like true Mike. This feels like the Mike that we knew in mm-hmm. seasons one and two, but just a little more grown up. Yeah. Like it's correct. And also the fact that he realized all of this, that he was jealous and angry, and then he admits it to her. Yeah. Like, way to go. It's very communicative, especially for him. It is. It's just, it's so, it's so good. And I feel like, because you mentioned Finn, I feel like Millie also does a really good job of appearing in love. Like, her (laughs) eyes, I don't know, like, her eyes, like, widen just a bit. And she, they're just, this is just well acted between these two. It really is. I, it does make me laugh, though, because, Mike, you really think she understands idioms? No, no she, doesn't. she does not. She does not know what love makes you crazy is. Old people. No, she... Old people say it to each other. <laughs> that old people. Old people. Old people. <laughs> I love how also this whole serious like heart to heart is occurring and the, just the word meat is just giant <laughs> in the background on the wall. I noticed that too. <laughs> and it's like Nancy and Jonathan have this butternut squash and Mike and Elle have meat. meat behind them on the wall the meat monster the meat monster gross meat arby's we have have the the meat meat. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dustin, who is camped out in what appears to be the projector room of the movie theater, begins to explain why he's been MIA. It's not because he was mad, even though he totally was mad. It's because he's been trapped underground in a secret Russian base. Mike, on the other end of the walkie-talkie, cannot hear him, though. Dustin continues, The Russians have infiltrated Hawkins! Also, can Nancy come pick them up from the mall? As Dustin's walkie-talkie starts to die, the two go back and forth, unable to hear one another. Mike! Dustin! Dustin! (laughs) Mike! Dustin! Dustin! (laughs) Times 89. Yes. When is the last time these two have spoken? Years. It is Susie, do you copy? Yes. The first chapter. We haven't written Mike and Dustin into a scene together since the first chapter of this season. Forever. They haven't spoken since, like, June, whenever we started this season. Right. Yeah. Pretty wild. Wild. Do you know what the music is here? I think this is... I don't have it written. Oh, no. I know what I'm thinking of. And it's not this. So, no, I don't know. I'm going to Google it real quick. Okay. It's extremely theatrical. Because the scene of that we already talked about of Hopper and Joyce and Murray and Alexi and Murray screaming at them to have sex, that's such a good song but it's unreleased oh i thought that was what this one was oh it's a track from back to the future Mm, that makes sense yeah it's called einstein disintegrated oh (laughs) from the back to the future original score Mm, okay (laughs) yeah it's very integrated oh it's it's very very theatrical and and fun i love it i think there's a lot from back to the future in this episode just because the movie was on that would make sense Dustin returns to the theater, reclaiming his seat next to Erica. He asks her if she has any AA batteries. She doesn't. As they discuss plan B, whatever that is, Dustin notices that Robin and Steve are gone. Outside of the theater, Steve is chugging water from a water fountain, and Robin is contemplating the Freudian plot of Back to the Future. As Robin demands her turn at the water fountain, Steve becomes very distracted by the mall's ceiling. It twinkles and shimmers as he gazes up at it. Robin joins him. She twirls around for a little while before the two sprint into the the nearest bathroom, about to puke. All of the Freudian themes this season, even in Back to the Future, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it more, but it's just everything is very Freudian. We have Billy and Karen, very Freudian. Yeah. I made like a little note later about the plot of Back to the Future. And then in just a couple scenes, Hopper calls Murray Freud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just everything is Freud. Everything. My only note, really, for this scene is when Robin is trying to explain the plot to Steve, and he's just, like, not getting it, and he goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) Me and Eli have worked that into our, like, normal vernacular. We say that all the time. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's great. Yeah. If one of us is just, like, explaining something long that the other does not understand at all, that's what we do. Like us next week when I try to explain Planck's constant. Yeah, it's going to be me the whole time. (laughs) Just a quick note. um, The ceiling is beautiful is playing here. Yes, it truly is. Again, it's very, very applicable. Yes. The adults have arrived at the funfair. Hopper, who is very disgruntled, demands that Murray stay in the car to discuss their plans with Alexi. Murray insists that he can help look for the kids, but Hop says no, he'll scare the children. Stay put, Freud. Joyce and Hopper wander the fair in search of their kids, and Hop apologizes for Murray's behavior. The two pass Klein, who is playing carnival games and posing for a photo, with Junior Miss Hawkins. Klein spots Hop and rushes to his car to call Grigori. 
I just feel like this dynamic between Joyce and Hopper is such a couple dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like, he apologizes on behalf of Murray, and Joyce is like, what's up like why are you like i don't whatever let's just find the kids and hop's like well i don't know i just noticed you've been more quiet than you i know oh my god <laughs> i literally rolled my eyes <laughs> yeah like you're very sensitive to your partner's like changes and emotions and he's clearly like why is she more quiet than usual yes yes and it's funny because like i know i i do this like i'm very guilty of like trying really hard to regulate my partner's emotions because it's mm. upsetting me Mm-hmm. And so I, I identified with Hop a little bit here where he's like, well, what's what's going on? Like, why are you so quiet? Yeah. Like, I do that you're, all the time. Giving off a vibe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just, it's, just, it's a true couple dynamic. It and is. it's just these two just need to bang already. Mm-hmm. Not that that changes that dynamic at all. But still. But still. Back at Bradley's Big Buy, Elle, who is planted in front of a freezer full of Eggos, searches for Dustin in the void. Lucas opens a cold, fresh can of new Coke and Mike and Max air their grievances. Lucas takes a nice big sip. Sweeter. Bolder. Better. To Elle's chagrin, Mike and Lucas begin to argue. She relays to the group that Dustin is at the movies and that the gate might be open, which would explain why the Mind Flayer is alive. The group leaves Bradley's big buy with a shopping cart full of fireworks, not realizing that the blood from Elle's leg is actually a, an upside-down creature? I don't actually know. Do you know? No okay no i don't understand i i i gotta understand the mechanics of this i is it is the blood alive i I don't know i don't i don't know and then on another note do you ever feel like a plastic bag (laughs) no (laughs) they banned those in new jersey (laughs) (laughs) like just drifting through the wind wanting to start again no i don't want to be arrested okay for being a plastic bag in new jersey (laughs) (laughs) you're under arrest ma'am for being a plastic bag (laughs) in new jersey (laughs) amanda and i were in the city the other day and there was this very strange sculpture of what looked to be like a colorful tube and it was very bent and misshapen and amanda was like is that the like a memorial for the last straw in new york city (laughs) (laughs) yes because if if you're not from the area or like familiar with it many of us on the east coast just we don't get plastic straws when we go out anymore that's like not a thing anymore and new jersey has not one plastic bag anywhere no no they are a rarity yeah instead we have four million (laughs) reusable shopping bags it's great save the environment people keep them in your car oh my god remember we didn't actually talk about the scene at all no i just, <laughs> I said, just rambled about Katy perry <laughs> I, I just said i gotta know about the mechanics of this that's the only note i had <laughs> i said remember how earlier we spoke about the just like the distraction of the american people from reality mm. and then in this scene we have l literally using the american flag as a blindfold wow spooky i love that yep and also like I think new Coke is very, like, symbolic of that, too. Mm. It's like, look over here at this new shiny thing we have. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And she's also planted in front of these, like, freezers full of Eggos. It's just, like, a very American scene. I know. I love... I should have mentioned this. I love the lighting. The neon is so good. The colors, it's just phenomenal. I will grab it for our Instagram. Yeah. It's a... That's a beautiful scene. It is. Steve and Robin finish up in their respective bathroom stalls, the drugs finally wearing off. The ceiling has stopped spinning. Robin asks Steve to interrogate her. He asks her... (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. He asked Weird. her when the last time that she peed her pants was. Today. It was today. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's Robin's turn now. She asks if Steve has ever been in love, and he tells her that he was in love with Nancy. Robin calls Nancy a priss and asks if Steve is still in love with her. Steve says no and begins to admit that he's actually developing feelings for her. Robin sighs and cringes a bit as Steve carries on about how she is unlike any other girl he's ever met. I like the shot of them separated by the bathroom stall wall. Like there's this barrier. And then when Steve slides under into Robin's stall, the barrier is removed. Mm, I got chills. I know. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to see an outsider's perspective of nancy like not knowing her like like we do that's very interesting so true that is it's like we see how two-sided stereotypes actually can be Mm, yeah yeah because like robin thinks nancy is a priss and steve would never even blink in robin's direction in high school Mm -hmm. and all of these assumptions are made about all these people around us and none of them are really true Wow. Yeah. That's such a great, like, overarching point. I really like that Steve mentions here that he doesn't know if Susie is real, but he has Mm. never expressed that to Dustin, ever. Wow. Yeah. He has never been doubtful towards Dustin, ever. So true. And they've been together this entire time. Yeah. He has never once been like, okay, like, sure, Jan, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, No, he has never indicated to Dustin that he might not believe him, but he admits this to Robin. Yeah, he doesn't want to break Dustin's spirits. Mm-hmm. I feel like Robin also looks legitimately pained when Steve is speaking. Like, this is well acted by Maya. But I guess I kind of wonder, like, what that pain is rooted in. Is it feeling bad for him that he thinks he's sort of fallen for her? Or is it more her feeling misunderstood? I think it's a little of both, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I wrote that too. Like, her pained smile where, like, she comes to this realization, like, okay, someone like Steve Harrington actually likes me, but I'm about to break his heart, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Or I never thought of it like that. Or it might also be because she is, like, kind of backed into a corner now where she might have to come out to him. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, to explain her rejection of him because she backed herself into a corner earlier by saying she was obsessed with him. Wow, I just got really stressed. Right? It's bad. It's a, it's a slippery, it is bad. slippery slope. Yeah, and we just deduced all of that from just a tiny little change in her facial expression. <laughs> but, like, that just yeah. means how good that is. Like, she she just looks pained. Yeah, yeah. At his, like, admission. And you can see, like, all of these emotions just right across her face. Yep. Noticing that Robin has gone quiet, Steve slides under the wall into her stall. So <laughs> gross. It is. (laughs) He asks for Robin's two cents here because he might have just poured his heart out to her. And Robin tells him that he's on drugs and not thinking straight. Robin begins to explain the root of her obsession with Steve. It wasn't because she had a crush on him. It was because Tammy Thompson wouldn't stop staring at him in class. And Robin wished that Tammy was looking at her instead. Momentarily confused, Steve points out that Tammy Thompson's a girl. Before realizing that Robin was crushing on her and not him. The two linger for a minute in the intimacy of Robin's confession before Steve tells Robin that Tammy is a total dud. She wants to be a singer, but she can't even hold a tune. She's practically tone deaf. She sounds like a Muppet. 
The two laugh at Steve's Tammy Thompson impression, and Robin joins in on the impression, just as Dustin and Erica burst into the bathroom. This is a top-tier scene. It really is. I don't think anything that we can say will actually do the scene justice. No. No. It really just speaks for itself. It's so good. I never noticed that camera panning shot over the top of the two stalls as Steve slides Mm -hmm. under. Slides under. Yeah. It's a great, great shot. It's funny how we see Steve get sensitive to Robin getting quiet, just like we saw Hop get sensitive to Mm -hmm. Joyce getting quiet. Very true. Need validation, please. (laughs) Thank you. I love the detail, I never noticed this, that Robin's converses have drawing all over them. All over them. It reminds me of our converses. Yeah, that's what our converses looked like in middle school and high school. Yep. Yeah, so cute. And I think that she really, Maya, does a great job of capturing kind of the apprehension in sharing that when she says, you might not even want to be my friend if if you knew. And that like got me right in the heart. Yeah, it's really good. And I think that we've talked about this before, too, like Robin challenging, not on purpose, but just challenging Steve's perception that like love is always romantic. Yeah. And you had mentioned this turning into a rejection of him and how she, as a queer person, has to grapple with fear of not wanting to hurt him because she doesn't want him to feel rejected and then not being true to herself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I mean, just like back to what it took for a queer youth in the 80s to come out, I mean, the trust that she must have had in him at this point because they were alone in that bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. you know, queer people have to worry for their physical safety when it comes to, you know, being open. So just that being known, like the absolute trust that she had to tell him something like this, even though she might have worried that his reaction might not have been what she wanted, I I think that she still trusted him enough where it was still going to be safe for her to do so. Yeah, and of all people. Right. Steve Harrington. I know. I said imagine Steve, season one Steve versus this Steve yeah. reacting to this information. That's so true. I also think this is like twice now that we see Steve develop feelings for a girl who doesn't fit his mold. Mm. Like you would think by now he might, by season four, like why is he still chasing after, you know, women for superficial purposes? If he can see twice now that he has fallen for somebody like Nancy and somebody like Robin and these two people who have a lot of depth, like he clearly seeks depth Mm. in a relationship. So why is he still hunting for superficial relationships? Yeah. So true. Yeah. I had to count because there is a significant amount of silence after Robin's confession. There is a full 10 seconds of silence. That is huge. That is a lot of silence as far as like a show or a movie is concerned. Yes. I'm going to recall back to the Office Ladies podcast and they mention this one episode early in the show where there's Mm -hmm. a full like i think like 17 seconds of silence or something like something absurd maybe 15 but like for a network show that is like an insane amount of dead air yeah and yeah you know even in a show of this length and on this medium 10 seconds Mm. of silence is a a lot of silence it's a lot a long time and i i kind of like when he's like oh yeah 
and he's like very gentle about the O. You know, it's not a disappointed O, and his ego could have gotten in the way here, and it didn't. Yes, yes, and he allowed it not to. Yeah. So and Robin is just the best. She is. It's just such a great scene. I mean, we could spend forever on it, but like, I think it's just you know, aside from the heaviness of what is being discussed in the scene. It's just such a well-acted scene between the two of them, and I think such a point of growth for the two of them as well, like, as a pair and individually. And the scene, the structure of it, and we know what that took for Robin, and then when we see how Steve responds, and then they start, like, teasing each other, and then it just builds to almost like a phew, like, even on the part of the audience. Yes. And, yeah, and the first i love you plays when they're i know oh i got chills <laughs> i know yeah the first i love you plays when they're like mocking tammy and giggling mm. and there's just a lightness and it's just it's a beautiful scene there is i and i i love how it ends i love steve's reaction to just immediately start making fun of the girl because yeah i think that that's he like immediately shifts into like brother mode he does he really does he doesn't make robin feel like othered Mm -hmm. or like tokenized or like uh not romanticized oh like like fetishized fetishized yes yeah he doesn't make her feel like fetishized othered or whatever the other word was that i used (laughs) right yeah and he and he doesn't like it's such a switch for him to go from looking at her as a romantic interest to flipping and still seeing her as a person, even though she now does not hold that romantic piece for him. Yeah, she's not serving that that Steve Harrington purpose. Yes. He accepts it anyway. Yes. I don't know, it's just so good. It is. Like, just both of them, such an amazing scene. And I love when Dustin bursts in and he's just like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Wow. What a great scene. Billy arrives at the broken into Bradley's big buy, stepping over glass as the lights flicker. He makes his way through the store, locating the aisle littered with medical supplies used to clean Elle's leg. He proceeds to dip his fingers into Elle's leftover blood, and his pupils dilate. I only have one note here. (laughs) Put those fingers away. And it is. (laughs) And it is. What is the significance of this scene? I have no idea. What is happening? Why does it matter? How does Billy know where to go? Do we see anything come of this? Why does he finger the blood? I just have a lot of questions. I actually wrote in the earlier scene when we see like the blood kind of like sizzle, but I think it is more appropriate here. Is the did the blood tell Billy where they were? <laughs> <laughs> Was it like AO boss? get over here tiny blood splatter (laughs) i don't know that's that's my only guess it's a hive mind i don't know (laughs) no idea blood uh no idea i don't either i just i feel sad that i don't understand i don't understand the scene and i hope that someone will explain it and i think you're on the right track i think there is some kind of communication occurring but like why like, what did the blood need to say? Like, they were here and now they're gone. I, like, how is that helpful? It's really not. It's really simply not. I don't know. It's very bizarre. Anybody know? Yeah, let us know if you have let us know if you know any idea what's happening here. 
And I also just wanted to say that the shot that we first get of Billy's boots on the broken glass feels very familiar. It feels like a shot that they use for Grigori. It does. Yeah. It definitely does. Back at the Roan County Funfair, Alexi is telling Murray that if they don't want the key to still function after they turn it off, they must blow it up. He warns Murray to steer clear of that explosion, though, because it will turn him to dust. That's probably not useful information. Probably not. (laughs) Not at all. In exchange for all of this intel, Alexi proposes that he become an American citizen so he can join in on all of this grand American fun. But Murray grins and tells his new friend that he doesn't need to become a citizen to enjoy the fair. The two decide to head to the ticket booth as Murray explains all the marvels of a good old 4th of July carnival, rigged games and fatty foods. (laughs) So we haven't really talked about this yet, but I just love all of the shots of the carnival during this chapter. We have all the colors and the food and the rides, and it's just truly a vibe that we have not experienced yet in Hawkins. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Murray calls it ugly decadence. Yes. Which is just a perfect way to describe this. Yeah. I did some quick reading on carnival dream symbolism since we're getting very Freudian this season. I was like, let's just let's talk about dreams. Yeah, I love it. So I just found a quick quote. Positive dreams of being at an amusement park signify a desire for release and fun and a yearning for the simplicity of childhood. Hmm. So that reminds me a lot of Will this season in the beginning when he man's just wants to play D D. Yeah. And then on the other hand, negative dreams of being in an amusement park signify that your pursuit of pleasure has become a destructive force in your life. So that reminded me of Karen. Mmm. Mmm. Tasty. <laughs> Dreams. <laughs> I just felt like this move kind of felt out of character levels of risky for Murray. Maybe we don't understand Murray. Maybe not. Just because, like, he does this in season four with the coffee. Like, why are you drinking that? Yeah, that did seem out of character for him, too. But maybe he's more naive than we think. <laughs> It could be like, I mean, we talked in the previous scene with Steve and Robin and Nancy and like challenging perceptions, right? And I think I think the fact that Murray has become so close with Alexi is certainly a challenge of his perception. Oh, yeah. Right? Like his overarching fear of and prejudice toward Russian people and completely it's just flipped on its head and Alexi becomes human to him. Mm-hmm. So back to your point it kind of seems maybe when murray has his guard down like he's willing to engage in some of these more risky behaviors true yeah and now that now that you say that it really makes me think about like a, a major theme of this season is our characters challenging perceptions of others and themselves yeah like mike's perception of a relationship and Elle's perception of having yeah for sure yeah like her sense of self and Mm -hmm. um you know steve and robin yeah and nancy and jonathan like challenging what they expect of each other and Hmm. wow perception added to the themes that we didn't talk about (laughs) and one more thing for the scene uh eli said that it is kind of a miracle that alexi can understand murray because his accent is so terrible (laughs) it is so bad but he said uh that makes it a little more authentic because yeah he's clearly an american who's just trying his best sure 
And he's the only one in like yeah. however many miles that can speak Russian, apparently. It's the best they can do. Elsewhere at the fair, Hopper and Joyce spot the wheelers going on the Gravitron ride and proceed to follow them. Once on board, Joyce runs up to Karen and asks her about the whereabouts of their literal children. Karen hasn't seen them. In fact, she can hardly keep track these days. <laughs> Girl. Okay. <laughs> the disgruntled ride operator demands that Joyce and Hop find a spot against the wall. As the ride starts to spin, the two lovebirds join hands. Karen is just so into this ride. <laughs> she loves it. This is just like an orgasmic <laughs> carnival ride for Karen Wheeler. She is so into it. I just think this is meant to show us how bored she is yeah. in regular life, right? Wow, yeah. Why is she so into this carnival ride? Better question, why is Holly on this ride? She is far too short. She is way too small to be on a ride like this. <laughs> I googled the height requirement Did you? for Gravitrons. I'm pretty sure it said 48 inches. I think Holly is not that tall. Yeah, I'd venture to guess not. She looks pretty small. She's the smallest one on this ride. And she's, I mean, how old is she here? What, like three or four? Yeah, I don't remember how old she was in season one. She wasn't in season two at all. Yeah. And yeah, very cute, but um, probably shouldn't be on that ride. Although the ride operator is very authentic, I will say. Yes, that was good casting. It really was. That's that's exactly who runs the rides at the carnival. <laughs> that woman so i can't help but wonder right mm -hmm. if karen wasn't so clueless about the whereabouts of the kids if she could have just conveyed this information to hopper and joyce would they not have gotten stuck riding the gravitron and if they hadn't gotten stuck riding the gravitron would alexi's outcome have been any different hmm i don't know it's tough to say because they they didn't even know that alexi was there like, he was supposed to be in the car. I guess so. But, like, would it have not caused as much? Like, I don't know. I yeah. just wonder that. Very weird. Yeah. I don't know. Like, we hear Murray blame himself for Alexi's death, mm -hmm. right? He's like, I shouldn't have left him alone. But, like, would Karen's lack of ignorance have, ch like, changed this at all? Yeah, I honestly don't know. I don't either. And I just thought of it. Honestly, she was taking forever to figure out anything. So they might have been stuck on the ride anyway. That's true. So even if she did have, like good information they might have had to take the ride anyway yeah it's very true yeah at the mall dustin erica robin and steve attempt to blend in with the crowd that is exiting the movie theater steve admits to dustin that he might have given the russian soldiers his full government name when he was drugged he probably shouldn't go back to his house as steve and dustin bicker robin realizes that the russian guards are searching the moviegoers one by one the group flees as one of the russian guards begins his pursuit i just have a quick plot on back to the future here that's all oh fun yeah so back to the future came out on july 3rd 1985 so yesterday as far as this <laughs> chapter is concerned um the movie stars michael j fox and christopher lloyd and lloyd's character is a scientist named emmett doc brown who invents a time traveling device called the delorean which is essentially just a car fueled by a substance called called plutonium okay not prometheum <laughs> plutonium close now yeah now fox's character named marty mcfly is 17 years old and he ends up traveling 30 years back in time using the delorean and once in the past he accidentally interferes with his young parents relationship aka his mom in the past ends up falling in love with him thus sabotaging his own existence <laughs> <laughs> i just listening to that 
I cannot believe that this movie did so well. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't even like really getting into the nitty gritty here, but yes, yeah, it's a very controversial theme. Yeah. Again, very Freudian. Hi, Daddy. Yeah. Like, very much so. Though I guess it kind of makes sense, right, that she would fall for him, because I'm guessing he looks like his dad. Yeah, like I said, I didn't get into the nitty gritty, (laughs) but essentially what occurred is there was an accident, and he saves her from the accident, and that was supposed to have been his dad that saved her from the accident. Yeah, so she ends up falling in love with him, when had he not interfered, she would have fallen in love with his father. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's all I got. I, and I just wanted to say, imagine leaving the movies and some scary dudes with, like, oh guns God. are just checking your ID. I'd be like, no. Who are you? She doesn't even go here. I'm sorry. Um, you're not checking my stuff because I don't know you. Yeah, that doesn't happen when you leave the movie theater. No. If I was coming in and you want to check my stuff, sure. Leaving? Different story. I don't think so. Yep. Good point. Very weird. Alexi, who is living his best life at the fair, wins a prize at the dart throwing game as a horde of children cheers him on. Giant stuffed animal prize in tow, Alexi makes his way through the crowd in search of Murray. He spots his new American friend standing at a nearby food stand, waves excitedly, and exclaims that the game is not rigged. Murray, who is double fisting corn dogs, laughs and begins to dance in celebration. All of a sudden, Grigori appears. Alexi frowns just as Grigori uses his silenced gun to stealthily shoot him in the stomach. As blood begins to pool on Alexi's shirt, Murray realizes that his friend was shot. The two make their way into an alley, with Murray supporting Alexi's weight. Murray removes his shirt and tells Alexi to keep pressure on the wound, and he's going to go and find help. The beginning of this scene reminds me of that childhood innocence idea again. Mm. We see, like, Alexi totally enamored by these very simple games and this very simple experience. He's also surrounded by kids. Yeah. And like Will, we have this childhood innocence kind of ripped from Alexi, too, when he is shot. Like... He literally moves the Woody the Woodpecker toy to reveal a gunshot wound. And Will literally leaves his friend's house after playing a game and is then taken by the Demogorgon. Mm. And I never really thought of like a Will-Alexi comparison before. Yeah, The shooting of the gun aligned with the dart hitting a balloon from the game Alexi was just playing was really good. It was. That was good. Yeah. Murray makes his way into the crowd, frantically searching for Hopper and Joyce. He spots them exiting the Gravitron and flags them down, screaming that they got Alexi! Hopper quickly locates Grigori, who is heading in their direction and still wielding his gun. The two begin to run in the opposite direction, but they soon learn that they are surrounded by other Russian guards. Karen and Ted, who are watching all of this unfold, briefly discuss what a weird couple Joyce and Hop make. Hopper instructs Joyce to get the car and bring it around the back of the fair. The two split up as Hopper flees into the funhouse, one of the guards right on his heels. The song playing here is Plank's Constant off of the season three score. Nice. Nice. Yep. Does that continue as Grigori is like entering the funhouse? Because I literally made a note that says, Marina, please tell me what is playing as Grigori enters the funhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would have to go back and look. It's like very like industrial, like boom, 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 boom. like that (laughs) it's my favorite song why are these soldiers so damn conspicuous (laughs) (laughs) they don't fit in at all no they look so out of place they're in like these gray jackets and they're like walking so angry i loved karen's reaction also when ted is like there's someone for everyone she (laughs) she hates him so much (laughs) she rolls her eyes i all i imagine is in her brain is like 
are you supposed to be like for me because if that's the case <laughs> this isn't good wait am i the someone are you the someone that's for me <laughs> oh god i know poor karen she just she hates him so much she really does i also wanted to point out that while joyce and hop are splitting up and running someone in the background just screams who wants a hot dog <laughs> and it made me laugh perfect timing all of this chaos though is ensuing and it's interesting that you you mentioned how conspicuous these guards are and that nobody notices them no because everybody is so distracted by the spectacle Mm -hmm. there's so much unfolding that nobody is paying any mind to and it's funny too because we didn't mention it earlier but like jonathan in that early scene when nancy hears the monster and he's like oh it's the fireworks that makes perfect sense no wonder nobody could hear anything or the cabin being destroyed because there were fireworks going off yep just like the gunshot mm-hmm. with the balloon and all of the noise from the carnival nobody hears it right it's so good i know so subtle but it's good inside the funhouse, hopper attempts to evade the russian guard before long <laughs> a fight ensues amidst the dozens of colorful punching bags Hopper disarms the Russian guard, beating him up and using a loose punching bag to deal the final blow. He steals his gun and his radio, which is transmitting Hopper's whereabouts to the other guards and Grigori. Hopper ducks further into the funhouse as Grigori enters. This is a creepy scene. It is so creepy. I I just want everyone to know I am terrified of funhouses even when there are not Russian guards hunting me inside them. Honestly, something about a funhouse is scarier than being pursued by... (laughs) a guard i don't know there's right? something unsettling like the swaying punching bags mm. in that one part it's just eerie and it's colorful and there's the the audio track playing over this whole scene about like the tiger yeah blah 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 like, like it's just it's creepy can't hide from the tiger or something <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> and then like the fight ensuing with this carnival music playing over it it's like droning and does anybody else feel like they're playing roller coaster tycoon because <laughs> like i totally did i get that get those yucky guys. yeah meanwhile joyce regroups with murray they return to alexi to find that he has died joyce weeps as murray blames himself for leaving alexi alone the two head out to grab the car but joyce spots klein she approaches him and proceeds to deck him right in the nose she follows that up with a nice kick in the balls for good measure and he had it coming I think that we just really see the reality behind the distracting spectacle here. Like, Alexi's death was possible because of this spectacle. He's, like, the consequence of the distraction. Mm. Yeah. And I just go back to that first line by Holly or by, by Karen where she's like, why are you looking at the trees, baby? Look at the fireworks. It's just, like, exactly what is happening this entire chapter. And Alexi is dead now. Yeah. Because of it all. Because of the music and the bangs and the vendor shouting about hot dogs and the rides, that's what that's what happened. My favorite Joyce is back. Yeah. And I love that she goes out of her way to punch this man. My favorite She thing. does. It's like, literally, she's like, hang on one second. <laughs> I have to go hit him. And I love the person in the background that goes, yeah, lady. <laughs> I wonder if that was the same person who earlier when he pushed through the crowd to get to his car phone was like, happy 4th of July, dick. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Same dude. Grigori makes his way through the incredibly spooky mirror maze of the funhouse, turning the various corners and casting an endless amount of reflections. 
He and Hop soon find each other, and a shootout ensues, mirrors shattering in their wake. Grigori collapses, having taken several bullets to the chest. More guards enter the funhouse as Hop starts to make his escape. Grigori, now standing, reveals a bulletproof vest, goddammit. Hopper heads for the slide as the rest of the guards begin to close in on him. This is such a good scene with the mirror hall. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's real. How many times do you think the reflection of Grigori is the actual one? And it's not until you see him turn the corner. Yeah. It's so good. And mirrors are so creepy. And I just love mirrors as like a symbol. I feel like they're like reflection and deception and Mm. all these cool implications. I would love to know more about how this was shot. How Mm. How do you not see a camera? That's a good question. Yeah, you don't see any cameras here. Can somebody explain? Well, we are going to do a VFX episode, so... True. Maybe I'll find out more. Please explain. Answer your question. I hope I can. I don't know anything about guns or bulletproof vests or any of that. But I was a little skeptical about this bulletproof vest because Hop shot him really closely. True. Does range have anything to do with the effectiveness of a bulletproof vest? I will tell you. But first, I need to tell you that when I said that out loud, Eli was like, oh, I've heard, though, that silencers can reduce the effectiveness of bullets. So I looked that up first, and that is completely not true. Okay. By the way. So in case you had that preconception, that is not true. I found an article from Vice, and here is a quote. At point blank, using a regular handgun, things got a little tricky. The top of the vest did a terrible job at protecting the dummy from the bullet. When shot at, a one, at one inch from its edge, the body armor crumpled under the force of the ammunition and sort of folded inward towards the chest. Not good. But surprisingly, a bullet fired at the center of the vest ended up trapped and never penetrated the back panel of the armor. So, jury's kind of out. I mean, okay. it seems like it kind of is possible for, for Grigori to have walked away from that. But I don't know. Kind of seems like he maybe should have taken a little more of a hit. Something. Yeah. And maybe he did. Like, we don't totally know that he didn't suffer any injury whatsoever. Yeah, it's true. He is kind of just like a cyborg, though, for some reason. He is. He's like the Terminator. Literally. (laughs) He's a robot. The Terminator was a robot, right? I think he was a cyborg, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Making sure. Finally free of their pursuit, Hopper jumps into the getaway car trying really hard not to make a taylor swift reference joyce at the wheel and murray in the passenger seat he asks them about alexi but they say nothing just then a russian transmission begins on the stolen radio murray translates we found the children they are still in the mall lower level keep all entrances locked down so convenient yeah also brett gelman who plays murray i think he acted this scene so so well this whole the Mm -hmm. whole carnival scene i think was really good on his part too but yeah his face when he hears we've found the children just like completely drops and like you can just yeah, see i know like, what you're talking about like a shiver run down his spine right yeah and yeah i just thought he was really good in this scene yeah i think it is hilarious that this is the transmission that they overhear in and they are looking for children and then the russians are like we found the children it's like wow Thanks. so convenient and then he just so happened to pick up the walkie like yeah and funnily enough it's none of their children that they're actually talking about in this transmission. So true. Yeah. Not the children and they're so looking true. for. These are not the children you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, 
I guess they could kind of surmise that if they find any of the children, they'll find the rest of them. They'll find most of the children. And it's, you know, I can hardly keep track these days. (laughs) It feels fair to guess that if there's Russian guards talking about children in a mall, it's probably one of theirs. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yeah. I mean, who else's children would it be? Yeah, obviously it's theirs. At Starcourt, several more Russian guards are patrolling the mall in search of Robin, Steve, Dustin, and Erica, who are hiding behind one of the counters in the food court. Just as the guards are about to find them, an alarm on the nearby sweepstakes car starts to sound, distracting the Russian men. The guards look up to the mall's second level, where Elle where is standing, flanked by the rest of the gang. She uses her powers to throw the vehicle into the guards, killing them. Dustin, Robin, Steve, and Erica, unsure of what just happened, spot Eleven and the rest of the group. Reunited at last. Talk about a distraction. This distraction saved lives, mm-hmm. although it also took lives, but... Yeah, but... L Kind of had to. Yeah. So, L making the car alarm go off with her mind... Yeah. ...did save their lives. Because they were defenseless. I know. They were just, like, literally cornered, trapped back there. They stood no chance, these four. Yeah, like, What were they going to do? Throw an ice cream scooper at them? Like, I don't... I know. Maybe if they could find a knife or something, but those dudes had True. guns. Yeah, no shot. Can't bring a knife to a gunfight. And I just wanted to say that this car being thrown is a practical effect. Ooh. Yes, we will get more into it in a few episodes when, as I mentioned earlier, we talk about VFX. But I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. It seems like it could have been CGI'd. Mm Mm-hmm. The two groups gather on the first floor, Dustin, Mike, and Elle embracing. Lucas asks what the hell Erica is doing here, and Erica proceeds to blame Steve, Dustin, and Robin. They, they actually do take the blame. <laughs> Speaking of Robin, she wants to know what happened to the car. Well, Robin, Ella has superpowers and she threw it with her mind. Catch up. The groups continue to hectically fill each other in on the events from the last five episodes. Robin cracked the Russian code. What Russians? The ones that Elle just killed, obviously. As the gang carries on about gates and Russians and low batteries, Elle steps away, all of a sudden looking very pale. Her ears begin to buzz loudly and she collapses. The group runs over just as Elle starts to sob about her leg. They remove the bandage to find that there is something alive moving inside of the wound. Elle screams in pain and the screen goes black. I love this hug between Dustin and Mike and Elle. So sweet. It reminds me of in season one when Dustin is like, she's our (laughs) friend and she's crazy. And they're on the cliff and it's those three, right? Isn't it those three hugging? It is. Same thing. Yeah, I love it. I just want to say I love that Nancy has absolutely no idea who Robin is. I love that as well. And I also need to point out that Steve and Nancy have not spoken since Chapter 8 of Season 2, November 5th, 1984. Almost a year ago. Almost a year ago, these two have not spoken. Wow. And I don't think Steve and Jonathan had exchanged words since then either. Yeah, they really would have no reason to, I guess. No, and the fact that that Nancy's first thing that she does after not... (laughs) Amanda just made the best face. (laughs) After not seeing or talking to Steve, presumably for almost a year, is be like, who the hell is this girl that you you are with? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Some would say that the episode of ours with the most listens is... (laughs) You're an idiot, Steve Harrington. Mm-hmm. Some might say All that. All about Stancy. Some might say that. Not us, Not but us. some. Some might say. But our listens might. <laughs> but our, our listens might. <laughs> All 
right. Well, that's the end of the scene by scene for the bite. Oh, my God. Poor Elle. She is just in pain. It is brutal. Her wound is alive. Her terrible wound is alive. The blood is alive. It's rough out there. Carnivals be carnival in. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our MVP. Bitchin'. Okay. Sure. Bitchin'. Who did you put? I put Robin for my MVP because I think that the scene between Steve and Robin is definitely like top 10. Mm. And I think Robin shows an incredible amount of courage and a lot of strength. And I just think it is beautiful how she articulates herself. And I need to give Robin MVP. I agree. I didn't didn't put her, but I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Who did you put? I put Dustin. Oh, I love Dustin. I said if he didn't think to reach out to Mike and the others, he, Erica, Steve, and Robin def would have been killed for sure. Because as we said, they were pretty much cornered back there. Mm -hmm. And I think he also takes on an adult role really quickly and easily and knows he has to take care of Steve and Robin. And he does so very well. Beautiful. All right. How about LVP? Losers? What losers? I put Karen Wheeler for LVP. I love that. Because my girl is clueless. <laughs> so clueless. <laughs> the most without clues. Wow. Is Karen Wheeler. Yes. She, she has contributed nothing to this day besides don't look at the trees, look at the fireworks. I don't know where my children are. I really like Gravitrons. I hate Ted. <laughs> she is just, she has not brought it this this chapter at all. No, she really hasn't. Nope. Who, 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 who put you? <laughs> I still don't have anyone. <laughs> Amanda does not have an LVP. Honestly. If it makes you feel any better, I just made that one up. That does make me feel better. Honestly, I was, I wanted. I was thinking about putting Will or Jonathan again, but I didn't want to because I just put them last chapter, but they truly don't give much in this episode again. I mean, oh, I don't want to hate on Jonathan. I don't. I, I, and I, I don't, I just think it's a misuse of his character. I don't think. Agreed. I don't think it's I think that is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. He was written to be appearing useless. Yes. Which is odd, a strange character choice. But yeah, I don't think it's it's him. I, I think he was just written strangely. So sorry. Sorry, J Byers <laughs> and W Byers. So it's close. It is time for Mall Rat Moments. That's totally against the rules. I make my own rules. This week, as you know, we've been mentioning <laughs> for the past couple weeks that we turns out we didn't think this one through and we've run out of content (laughs) because we are and always have been incredibly boring as it turns out um okay so for this week we decided that since the bite is a, a very climactic episode for this season that we would share with you a few stories from our youth that we tossed around as ideas for mall rat moments and then discovered that they have absolutely no point. <laughs> so they are anticlimactic. Completely anticlimactic. So we thought we'd bring you down from the super climactic episode and calm you down with a couple of really uneventful <laughs> stories from our youth. 
Okay, so one time when Amanda and I were young, <laughs> we walked a few. <laughs> I can't even. We walked a few miles in our town. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we were going, I think, to Friendly's. Yeah. And on this walk, we saw a raccoon. <laughs> Yeah, we saw a raccoon. It was wild. <laughs> the raccoon. That's the story. <laughs> was wild. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Another time. This one time at band camp. Nope. No. Another time we, Amanda and I, tried to trade our prom dates as if they did not have free will. <laughs> Amanda said to me, would you perhaps want to trade? And I was like... No. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> as, as a tangent to that story, it just kind of reminded me of <laughs> this other story that we didn't discuss before. But remember, your your band camp anecdote that wasn't real reminded me of this. Remember when I went <laughs> day camp in the summer and I met that one guy one time and then and then he tried to date both of us? <laughs> that would have been a mall rat moment. That would have been a good one. Yep, that would have been a good one. I have an extremely distinctive memory of us being on a three-way call with that man. His name was Danny. It was, yeah, his name was Danny. Never saw him again. But I have a very distinctive memory of being on a three-way call with him and listening to My Band by D12. These chicks don't even know the name of my band. (laughs) This is an extremely early 2000s memory. (laughs) Another story is that one time... Amanda and I thought we were scene queens. Yeah. So we acquired some inflatables and put them in Amanda's living room and proceeded to have a photo shoot with the inflatables. I think there was an umbrella involved. There was. I might have like stuck some blue colored dye into my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried. We did. And we posted those photos. To Facebook. On Facebook. Yeah. All right. I'm glad that we entertained you all with these extremely exciting (laughs) stories. Thank God we only have one more chapter episode because we are bone dry. We sure are. So (laughs) glad you all think that we are funny because we've got nothing. I have shout outs as does my dog. Hooray. First of all, I hope everyone is having fun on Discord because I am. I think this is so fun. Me too. I get so excited when I see you all talking in there. I wanted to do our self-promos part of discord because amanda and i struggled so hard to make it known that we were starting a podcast people make it difficult to promote podcasts so i don't want any of you to suffer so (laughs) emily pointed out that there are all of these crocheted items hanging out in the stranger things universe and she is remaking them all which is fantastic and she posted them in our little art channel it's amazing and she has a yeah and she has a tiktok that shows her process and it's called crocheter underscore things Ooh, i know and then ashley from ham radio media also shared that she does stranger things edits on youtube and her youtube handle is also ham radio media so i just wanted to give you all a platform to share your stuff and then i'm gonna rattle off names i'm gonna try to do different names each time some of these are the names you have in your instagram bios others are usernames one is actually very ironic considering the story that amanda and i just shared here we go. Paige, Henry, Lauren, Stacy, Abby, Michelle, Allie, Gina, Ariston, and last but not least, Insane Raccoon Girl. 
Wow. Okay. Speaking of insane raccoon girl, number one, I've seen your handle before and I love it because I'm a big fan of possums. So I just feel like, it, you know, street cats. That's just what they are. But this Trash pandas. Yeah. This morning, I saw a really cute TikTok of a little girl just holding a raccoon and sobbing to her dad to please take it home. And the raccoon, oh. the raccoon's just chilling. He's oh. like, yeah, that's my person. Love it. <laughs> it's so cute. So I would have a raccoon. Me too. They seem so sweet. And my cat is really yeah. similar to a raccoon, honestly. He is. He's kind of raccoony. But yeah. Anyway, that's it for this week. Oh my God. Ah. Another one. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening as always. Go out there and give us some ratings if you feel like it. And go find a raccoon. And go find a raccoon. Don't pick it up though. They don't like that. All right. Anyway, stay strange. Stay strange. <laughs> to keep in touch and stay informed, join us on our Starcourt Study Hall Discord server and follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. <laughs>